God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is taken from the reading in the Gospel of Luke. We'll also be spending some time in the prophet Isaiah. You may be seated. We begin with a word of prayer. Almighty God, it is by your grace that through your word you have gathered us into this place so that we might receive your gift and your blessing. Lord, we recognize that as we come here today, we are sinners in the presence of your holiness. But Lord, it is with your holiness that you grant us forgiveness. And so now, Lord, we pray that we would hear your word in faith, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. There was nothing particularly unique uh, about Isaiah's trip to the temple that day. And in fact, we could probably look at Isaiah's trip to the temple that day and say it was rather mundane, all sort of routine. To be sure, as Isaiah was in the temple that day, he was, he was praying and, and worshiping and as sincerely as anybody really can, but all in all, it was a normal, routine, rote day for Isaiah. For Isaiah. That is, that is, this morning, that is, until God showed up broke up the routine. Suddenly, God rolled back the earthly curtain that gave way to the heavenly temple, and Isaiah found himself there in the presence of God and his angels. There that pious young prophet came face to face with the almighty, all-holy God. This is how he describes his experience. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, that is the angels. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah found himself face to face with pure, unmediated holiness. And it terrified him. How do you respond to holiness? How do we react in the presence of holiness? How do we even conceive of holiness? I mean, I was trying to think of a, a good illustration for us this week to help us grasp what holiness is, and I, I felt like I just constantly came up short. I'm not sure we can actually really truly grasp Isaiah's experience, if we can really grasp what it means to be in the presence of unmediated holiness. But I'll, but I'll give it my best shot here today. Uh, it, it, it's kind of like this. I've told you before that I have an uh, unreasonable fear of heights, and I think I've shared my experience with you before where uh, my wife and I earlier in our marriage went on a, a delightful romantic date to the place called the Royal Gorge. You ever heard of the Royal Gorge, like one of the highest suspension bridges uh, in the world there in southern Colorado? Uh, and that was a very terrifying day for me. You're on a suspension bridge as you're looking down over this gorge, and cars are driving by, and the planks are rattling, and you're just pretty well convinced that you're going to die any minute. Uh, so you know the best plan of attack is to crawl on the ground as far away from the edge as you can. I mean, that was my plan of attack anyways. Uh, but, but you go to the Royal Gorge, and it's kind of like this. You look over the edge, and what do you see but beauty? I mean, it is, it's, it's, it's awe-inspiring. You see the majesty of the cliffs, the depth of the ravine, the beautiful blue Colorado skies, 
The mountains in the background, and the beauty is just overwhelming and amazing. And you look down into the gorge, and you realize how terrifying the whole thing is. Because that beauty would be the death of you. One wrong move, and that beautiful scene would swallow you up. I think that's a hint of what Isaiah was experiencing as he stood in the presence of the holy God. Because there Isaiah realized this, and here's where our illustration actually falls short. Isaiah realizes that he is a sinner in the presence of holiness. And he doesn't have the option to even make one wrong move because sinners in the presence of holiness are already dead where they stand. And so Isaiah begins to sing his own funeral dirge. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. God's holiness, as far as Isaiah can tell, is the death of a sinner. And he is a sinner. He dwells amidst people who are sinners. Isaiah knows it. There in the presence of the holy God, he is dead where he stands. But then Isaiah learned something of God's holiness that he did not expect. That God's holiness is not a holiness he uses merely to kill sinners where they stand, but also to raise them up from death to life. He describes the scene. Then one of the seraphim, that is one of the angels, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And we need to know a little bit about what goes on there in the temple to understand this scene completely. But there in the temple, they had uh, an altar of incense with, with burning coals on it. It's where they would take the sacrifices to offer the sacrifices up to God. So the sacrifices that atoned for or, or paid for the sins of the people were laid upon this altar. So it's from this place of atonement, this place of forgiveness, that this angel uses tongs to bring a burning coal. And from the place of forgiveness, that coal is placed on Isaiah's unclean lips. And he is atoned for. He is purified. He is forgiven. Isaiah, the dead sinner, is forgiven. And God then doesn't use his holiness to destroy Isaiah, but instead he shares his holiness with Isaiah. He will not leave Isaiah for dead in his sinfulness. No, God has had Isaiah's sins paid for and now shares his holiness with him. Then Isaiah goes forth to preach. He goes forth to proclaim the holiness, the majesty, the terror, and the mercy of this God. And as you read through Isaiah's prophecy, you know that there in that book, we have some of the clearest proclamations of the coming Messiah, the coming Savior of the world. Well, fast forward a few hundred years, and that Messiah arrives. Jesus comes on the scene, and he comes to be with Peter one day, while Peter is coming in from a night of fishing. Now, Simon Peter is there. He's cleaning, uh, excuse me, he's cleaning his nets, and there was nothing particularly unique about fishing that night uh, for Simon. No, in fact, we might say that night was all rather mundane. And routine, if not disappointing. After all, they'd been out doing their job, fishing all night long, and they came in 
and they had caught nothing, zero. Now, that's probably not abnormal. That, again, that's probably not a unique experience for them, but a frustrating one nonetheless. You go out fishing with the intention of bringing in fish to make some money and feed your family and feed the community. That's why you do it, and they caught nothing. And so we find Peter and his fellow uh, fishermen there on the, on the shore cleaning their nets, mending their nets, and I'm sure grumbling. But then as Simon is doing this, God rolls up on the scene. Simon doesn't realize it at the time. But yet here was Jesus, God in flesh, asking to use one of the boats so that he could teach the crowd. And God's reign invaded that shore as the almighty God preached his life-giving, sin-killing word from the boat. Now it sounds to me from the text that Peter kind of pushes out from the shore with Jesus. He takes him out there. But I'm not sure how invested Peter is in this conversation. I tend to wonder if he's still not a little frustrated and distracted by the long night coming back with nothing. So Jesus decides it's time to get Simon's attention. So he looks at him, and this is how Luke records it. He says, uh, after he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon Peter answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the net. Now, you can't really read too much into what they say in the Bible, but I, but I do sense a little uh, frustration from Simon here. I almost hear him saying, listen, preacher, you do your job, and I'll do mine, okay? I know about fishing, and there's nothing out there for us. So let me just do my work. But fine, you want me to do it? Listen, I'll do it. Fine, I'll do it. And so, Simon, in other words, has no idea that he is now standing on the edge of the royal road. He has no idea that he is in the presence of Isaiah's holy God. It doesn't strike him for a moment. But Jesus is about to roll back the curtain and show him just as he's doing. So when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. That is, after they listened to Jesus, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking, and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. And they came, and they filled the boats so that they began to sink. Now, at this point, Peter probably doesn't realize that Jesus is the God of Israel. He doesn't realize that this is the God in whose presence uh, Isaiah was terrified. But Peter is no fool. He knows when he's in the presence of a holy person. He knows when he's in the presence of one who brings God's holiness. And he knows that sinners have no chance to stand in the presence of holiness. Thus he's dead where he stands. So Peter tries to save his own life by sending Jesus away. He says, uh, when it, uh, Luke writes, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Just like Isaiah, both stood in the presence of the holy God they were overwhelmed by their sin. They knew they were dead. But just like I said, Simon Peter learned something of God's holiness that he did not expect. For Jesus does not rebuke Simon for his words. He does not rebuke Simon for his response. He does not rebuke Simon for his sin, nor does he adhere to Simon's request. He will not, in fact, depart. Instead, like an angel with an atoning coal from the altar, Jesus' words come and fall upon the sinful Simon's ears and in his heart. And Jesus speaks words 
that atone, forgive, remove fear, and set Peter free. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought in their boats to the land, they left everything and followed. Jesus' words to Simon Peter, do not be afraid, are basically saying this. Simon Peter, I am not against you. My holiness for you is best known, not merely in crushing you in your sins, but in actually making you holy. My holiness is best known in forgiving your sins and removing your sins and sharing my holiness with you. And so notice what happens to both uh, Isaiah and Simon Peter. After they have this encounter, after they receive this, this forgiving holiness from God, both get up to follow. Both go forth to preach this good news to the rest of the world. Both with purified lips go and proclaim the word of God. They proclaim the holy fear of God to sinners so that sinners will recognize their need from salvation and be gathered in then so they might hear this proclamation. Fear not, your sins are atoned for. You are forgiven. Simon and Isaiah, they go forth and they preach this, and they're preaching this message of Jesus Christ, this forgiving message, goes forth throughout the world and throughout the centuries and rolls on through the generations until it lands here today. And that message finds you sitting in your pews this morning. This morning, when you came to church, and you coming to church today, well, there was nothing particularly unique about this Sunday morning. In fact, it was all rather mundane and routine for you, wasn't it? Your alarm went off, you got up, probably had a cup of coffee, had some breakfast, uh, put on your Sunday best, came to church, found your seat, told the person sitting in your seat to move somewhere else, and then sat down to enjoy the worship service. And then you heard it. The name of the Almighty God. Your baptismal Lord's name was spoken over the gathering of the saints. We said in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And God's holiness invaded this room by means of that name. And then perhaps because it is so familiar, you may have not even realized it. You were standing then at the edge of the royal gorge. The holiness of God was once again in your ears and you were once again in His presence. And you knew that you were here after a frustrating long week of aggravation and sin. You were not worthy to be in his presence. And so with the rest of us, you confessed. You confessed your unclean lips. You confessed your sinful heart. And you confessed your selfishness. You with Simon Peter announced that you were a sinful woman. You are a sinful you fell into the silence of the confession before the Holy God. But then, God did something that you probably should not have expected. You were not sent away from here announcing your sin. You were not crushed in your sin nor rejected by this God, but the Lord Christ had his holiness shared with you with the word that came forth from my lips. And it wasn't my word, it was Jesus' word. He just used my mouth to say it. And he said, you are forgiven. Forgiven in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
And that holy baptismal name was now given to you not to crush you in your sins, but to share God's holiness with you, to mark you as one of his own, mark you as one of his beloved. And now, just like with Isaiah, he gathers you up to this altar so that from the place of sacrifice, from the cross, he might place upon your lips bread and wine, body and blood that atone for your sins and cast your guilt Upon this atoning work, upon this atoning word that Christ gives to you in this place, you with Peter and Isaiah are set free, set free to sing God's praises, to proclaim his mercy, and to serve in his kingdom. All of us then are saints, purified, and forgiven, all on account of the saving work of Jesus Christ, so that you can go forth and proclaim it to the world, so that the world, along with the rest of us, may stand in the presence of Christ's gracious holiness to receive the same word that is given to you this morning. Fear not. Your sins are atoned for. and You are forgiven. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks that your word purifies us, not just on our lips, Lord, but our body and soul together. Lord God, we pray this day that like Isaiah and Peter, the good news that has been placed upon our lives would send us forth to follow you, proclaiming this message to others. For we know that faith comes through hearing. So Lord, we thank you for giving us ears to receive it. Now give us mouths to speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Having heard the word of our Lord, I invite you to please